Heavenly Father, we just pray that you'll help us to have ears to hear and you'll help us to understand your word to us today. We pray that we might be encouraged and blessed by coming to your word, trusting that as you have promised to us that your word is like water when we're part, that your word is food for the soul, that your in your word is life and hope, and in it we encounter your love for us and your good plans for us and the ways that you call us to live because you're our creator and you know what is good for us. And so we pray as we come to your word today that you might use it to make a difference in us and that that might be true every time we come and we spend time with you in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For anyone who'd like to follow along, we're reading from 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put every enemy under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this then, uh, then the Son will himself be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. In this chapter, we've already spent uh, one week looking at the things that Paul has said. And in this chapter, he's addressing a problem in the church in Corinth where there were some who didn't believe that when the resurrection that Jesus had promised was actually going to happen. There's some that perhaps thought that heaven was, you know, things were going to come on earth and things were going to happen perfectly on earth and there was going to be no need for life afterwards. But in speaking about this, we saw last week he spoke about how if the dead are not raised, then Christ wasn't raised either. 
making all of the things that they've been teaching people wrong and making them liars and false witnesses about God. Today Paul encourages us to think about the resurrection, but not so much about Jesus' resurrection, but about ours. On the third day after his crucifixion, the Bible tells us Jesus rose from the dead, appearing to his disciples. Last week we saw that he appeared to more than 500 people. Now I believe that. And I think most of us here today, yeah, most if not all of us, believe that too. And last week we saw that that was an essential belief. That if we're not holding to the belief that Christ rose from the dead, then we are not holding the gospel. But it raises the question, what difference does it make to you that Christ has risen? As you walk into your office or workshop or classroom tomorrow, what difference does it make as you struggle to get the kids off to school? What difference does it make as you travel off to the supermarket or the chemist? Or as you scroll on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram? What difference does it make that Christ has risen from the dead? Paul encourages us and challenges us today that the resurrection isn't just good news for the future, but that it matters. It matters to our lives now. He begins telling us, Jesus, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The analogy of the first fruits is a picture of more that will come. That there will be more that will be raised. But just because he is risen, that doesn't mean all things are made new yet. That's the other other part of the picture of the first fruits. That the whole of the crop isn't ready yet. But the first first one has just ripened to show that the rest will ripen in their right time. So all things aren't made new, but something new has begun with the resurrection of Jesus. And we see that in these verses. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Something new has begun. A new type of humanity has been made. All of humanity is born in the line of Adam. All of us have Adam and Eve as our ancestors. All of us have the consequences of the decisions that Adam and Eve made in our ancestry. Adam had a disease and it's hereditary and he's passed it along to each and every one of his sons and his daughters. The symptoms are selfishness, broken relationships, a turning away from God, and suffering, and eventually death. And every single descendant of Adam has this disease. We have that nature within us. That is the way that we were born. And at some time in our lives, we've all acted upon that nature. And we've all chosen to go our own way. 
We've all chosen to reject our Creator. But there is another Adam, Paul tells us. There is another head of humanity, another ancestor of all who will follow him. And what he passes along to his descendants is life. And life that never ends. And then this is kind of where the analogy falls apart because in real life we can't change our ancestry. We can't just decide, okay, now this person is my ancestor and that makes it true. But in Jesus, we can be born into a new family line. We can have a new ancestor. We can be born again. And so everybody has a choice. Adam... Or Christ? Which will be our ancestor? Which will be the one that we will follow? Which will be the, the line that we are in? To continue living for myself and rejecting God and his, uh, you know, his way of living, but also his love for me? And the end result of that choice is death and separation from God. Or the choice is to believe in Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection. And all of that done in my place. So that my sins can be forgiven. So that all of the wrong that I've done against God is paid for in his death on the cross. And new life is given to me in the life that Jesus has won in his victory over death through his resurrection. And so in Jesus, we have a new nature. We have a new ancestry. We have a new, you know, something new has been begun in us. We have new loyalties, a new place where we belong, a new community. And when he returns, a new life and one that will last forever. So we have a new family and within our new family, we have a new hope, Paul tells us. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death has a use-by date. Everything dies, including death itself. And then will be the life beyond. The end will come, All Jesus will defeat every evil thing in this world. That picture of dominions and authorities and powers is a picture of the demonic things, of evil things in this world that will be destroyed. But for those in the church back then who are maybe thinking, okay, maybe Jesus has just started the eternal life bit now. He says, no, that's the last thing. Death is the last thing that will be defeated. This, was something, this is something that will only happen in the end. It's wonderful news. It's a wonderful thing to hope for. But it is something that we hope for that hasn't happened fully yet. But the good news about that, and I know as you know, many of us as we look at the world around us, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future, about what will happen. In our world around us, we see 
you know, to, to take a phrase from the Bible, we see wars and rumours of wars. We see floods. We see pandemics. We see political unrest and brother turning on brother and son turning on mother and father. And all of these things. There's so much uncertainty about the future. And then as Christians, we can have so much uncertainty about the future. As we get in and we look at the book of Revelation that talks about the future and people get into fantastic arguments about millenniums and raptures and who is the Antichrist and, and the, what is, you know, which passage do we see that, you know, the, the war in, in Ukraine is a fulfilment of? The Bible tells us the things that we really need to know about the future. And there might be some things that are uncertain and there might be some things that people can discuss and have disagreements on. But Paul brings us here to what we need to know above all else. Jesus wins. Death is defeated. Evil is punished. But those who have put their trust in Jesus, even though we have evil in us, that evil's already been put to death on the cross. And so we will be given life with him. So Jesus' victory that we see, Jesus' victory in rising from the dead is my victory too. It's like if you are in a nation at war and, and you, you hear on the news that your nation has just won a great battle in wherever it is they're fighting. And you weren't there, and you weren't fighting, but it's, it's, you, know, it's, you get excited about that news too. You weren't personally involved. But it means you know, your enemies are one step further away from being able to come in and rule over your country. It means good things for you. And likewise, Jesus' victory, even though I wasn't there, even though I wasn't involved, it's good news for me that makes a difference to my life. And so his victory is my victory too. His victory over death at the cross gives me a hope that changes all that I do. And this is what brings Jesus' death into my life now, what makes a difference. Paul talks about this hope and how it shapes the way that we live and he gives two examples. Baptism, uh, you know, including these very awkward and difficult phrases about baptism for the dead, and also his own sufferings. If there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptised for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. The resurrection of Jesus makes a difference to what matters to us, to the way that we live our life. Now, that first example that he gives of those being baptised for the dead, that, what that means is highly contested and very confusing. Um, 
There's no other practice mentioned anywhere in, in the Bible or in any other church of people being baptised on behalf of somebody else who has died, but that's the most natural reading of these words. But because, you know, that was something that wasn't done elsewhere and because people, um, you know, because it's actually something that's explicitly the church teaches against from the days of the church fathers... There's a lot of people who think, well, maybe we're missing something here. Maybe the baptism for the dead is talking about that we are the dead. And that as you're baptised for the dead, that's, you know, you are, you are, although you are dead in your sins, in the baptism you are laid down dead in Christ and you are raised up again in Christ. Maybe. Um, there might have been easier ways Paul could have told us that that was what he meant. It is possible that there was some sort of practice. This isn't Paul's first letter that he's written to the, to the Corinthians and it's quite possible that in his first letter he told them, you've got to stop doing this whole baptism for the dead thing. But then in this letter here he's telling, you remember when you did that? When you were baptising people for the dead? That goes completely at odds with you saying that there is no resurrection. So... Look, I could give a whole lecture on what on earth these strange verses mean with all of, the, all of the things that have been written about it. But this is not the main focus of what Paul is trying to say. And so I don't want to bog us down too long in that, but just to help to give a couple of ideas of what that might mean. But what Paul's broader point is, is why do we come to church? Why do we choose to be a part of God's people and in entering the church, why do we have this ceremony that symbolically talks about us being put in the grave with Jesus as, you know, that's the symbolism of the going under the water and then coming out of the grave in resurrection with Jesus if, we, if there is no resurrection, that doesn't make any sense why would we be the church and do all these things that God calls us to do if we, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Why do we give money to the church and to others? You know, if this life is all there is, then you know, the poor and all of those people, it, that's tough, but they're going to die anyway, and that's the end of it. Why don't I just spend it all on myself and eat and drink, and tomorrow I die? And then there's the bigger question, or the other question that Paul raises, is that in so much of the things that he did, people didn't like very much that he was a Christian, that he was telling the good news about Jesus. And in various cities, he was imprisoned as he brought them the good news. He was beaten. And eventually, obviously after the point where he wrote this letter, he was executed. He'd seen other people be executed for following Jesus. If we die and that's the end of it, shouldn't we be doing everything possible to preserve our lives and prolong our lives? Doing, you know, following Jesus and taking that risk and being willing to be hated and persecuted for the name of Jesus only makes sense if we believe in his promise that this life is not all that there is. Paul encourages us that the resurrection of Jesus 
that gives us the hope that we too will rise, that we too will have life that never ends. The resurrection is not just you know, an interesting thing that happened one time, so we want to tell everybody because it's kind of a cool story. It gives meaning to everything that we do, to all of our lives. What are you suffering from today? What's difficult? What's painful? What makes it difficult to roll out of bed in the morning? Heaven, the resurrection, gives your suffering purpose. It means that the things that happen in this life are not just random and unhappy coincidences. God is working in them to produce good things in us and for those around us. And then our light and momentary troubles. Now, some people might object to Paul calling the things that we're going through light and momentary troubles. But he says they won't be worth comparing to the glory that is revealed in us. They're light and momentary only in the sense that when you compare them against the reward, suddenly they're much smaller than when they're all that we can see. And the other thing is, the resurrection gives our suffering an end date. It means that it will not be forever. There will be a time when the things that trouble us will be gone. And there will be no more mourning or sickness or crying or pain. The good news of the resurrection, the news that I will rise, it makes forgiveness easier. Maybe not easy, but easier. It makes it easier for me to forgive others when, if I've got my eyes fixed on heaven, the, thing, the things that people do to me in this life, just matter that little bit less because I know that I'm getting into heaven not because I deserve it but because I've been forgiven because Jesus chose to love me when he didn't have to that makes it that bit easier for me to do that for others although as C.S. Lewis famously said forgiveness is one of those things that always sounds like a beautiful idea until you have to do it Heaven, the resurrection, makes the problems of this world less scary. Yes, there's a lot of scary stuff out there. But we know that even if the worst things happen, war and suffering and persecution and death, that's not the end. And so it makes those things... It's still worth being aware of what's going on in the world. But we don't have to be scared of them. The resurrection makes our work meaningful. It doesn't matter what you do and where you work. Your work is not just done you know, for a boss who is never happy. Your work is not just done, you know, go out in the fields, push the same things around every day until you die. But our work is done for an eternal God who loves us. Do all that you do. Go about your work, the Bible tells us, as if you're doing it for God. And he gives our work and our lives purpose and meaning.
There's an old saying that I've heard a few times in my life of somebody who's, who's so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly use. Have you heard that one before? I don't think many people in the West have that problem. I think we have the opposite problem. We're so earthly minded. We're of no heavenly use. What difference would it make to our lives if we fixed our eyes on Jesus? If we fixed our eyes on the life to come? And the Bible is clear, that doesn't mean sitting on a rooftop waiting for Jesus to come back. It means all of these things that we've looked about, all of this purpose and value and meaning that it gives to life, all of this strength and comfort in suffering, all of this um, you know, ability to forgive as we have been forgived, uh, forgiven, all of this not needing to be afraid as the world is afraid. That's the difference that it makes if we're heavenly-minded. So be encouraged, as Paul has encouraged us. And, you know, I say that because Paul wrote it, but also as God has encouraged us, because this is his word, that the resurrection of Jesus is not just an interesting thing that happened 2,000 years ago, but it's what makes our life worth living. It's what makes, what stands behind all that we do and gives fullness and richness and meaning to all that we do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we go away from this place, help us to look at our own lives. Look at the difference that the resurrection makes, that because Jesus is risen, so we too will rise. We pray that you will help us to live lives changed by that fact, live boldly, knowing that whatever may come, you are with us and you will be with us forever. Let us not be afraid of the things that so many are afraid of, because death is not the end. Should even the worst come, the worst cannot separate us from you. Help us to be heavenly minded so that we are of earthly use. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know I called the sermon, I Will Rise, but we're not actually going to sing I Will Rise now. We're going to sing Because He Lives. <laughs>